Uh, we're going to turn tonight to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 3. Um, there's one verse that I trust everyone knows. It's John 3.16. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather here at your invitation into your house to sit at your table, the table of your word, to feed upon the bread of life. And we thank you for this. And I pray that as we study together, we might learn some things that we can take with us when we leave this place to the end that we might be a better testimony of you and your message to this world because you love us. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This message has a title. <clears throat> It's called The Pattern for Christian Living. The Pattern for Christian Living. We talked about that on other speakers, and our Brother Charles has uh, given us several good messages concerning the pattern of Scripture. Um, and when it comes to Christian living, this is uh, a subject that a lot of people want. Uh, because it seems like so many people are in a constant struggle when it comes to the matter of living. Uh, we have stresses and we have problems and things do not turn out the way we would like for them to turn out many times. And so we find ourselves a lot of times not very happy and struggling. And so people... Uh, want messages that are uplifting, messages that are a comfort to them, so that when they live here, leave here, they know better how to to deal with the circumstances that they are dealing with. And so, this message is designed to uh, encourage us to go to the book, to the only source that we can go to, to find out how. Uh, this Christian life is supposed to be lived. And so the thing that I want to stress to us tonight is the ultimate pattern for Christian living is none other than Jesus Christ. He's the only person that has ever lived in this world a perfect life is Jesus Christ. And the entire message of the Bible is we are not capable of living the Christian life any more than we can save ourselves. The Lord said to the rich ruler in Luke uh, chapter 18, when it comes to salvation with men, it's impossible. It's also impossible for man to be happy. It's impossible for us to live the Christian life 
and really be able to understand the circumstances that come our way in such a way that they do not destroy us, but rather even strengthen us. Um, so the answer to the mystery is really very simple, and it's repeated over and over in Scripture. We have to die to everything that we are in our nature. We have to die to it daily, daily. And we have to receive in the place of the old man that we're supposed to put to death, the life of Christ in its entirety. Now, folks, it's very important for us to understand the point that I'm fixing to make. We cannot, in our nature, bring one thing to the Christian life. Not one thing. Not even one point. That's why we have in Scripture the doctrine of total depravity. We're totally depraved. The Bible explains it this way through James, chapter 2 and verse 10. If you sin in one point, you're guilty of all. What man is able to bring to the Christian life holiness, unblameableness, and unreprovableness? What person is able to do that? And the answer is no one. But Jesus Christ did. And I submit to you that this book teaches that we have to be perfect to go to heaven. And we're in a constant struggle of manifesting this perfection that we find in Christ Jesus in the daily life as we deal with the struggles of life. The Lord wants us to be happy. And we can be. So there was a personality in Scripture that the Lord has given us that I think manifests an understanding of the title of this message, the pattern for Christian living. It was the Apostle Paul because he knew who the pattern was. It was Christ. And this is the significance of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is testifying in that statement to the Galatians that he could not bring one thing to the Christian life, not one thing. The only thing he could bring to it was death. A completely empty vessel that had to be filled with the life of Christ. And that's what Galatians 2.20 is. Now, folks, it's very easy for us to come to a meeting like this and get bogged down with doctrine and things that sound like just biblical platitudes, uh, but these things are real. What Paul said is very real. And I think a lot of times the reason we 
go through so much misery in life is because we do not think about what the Bible actually is saying. Um, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul said this in verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Folks, that is an amazing statement. You know the thing that came to my mind when I read that and thought about it? How do people view me? Do they get my personality when they're in contact with me? Or do they get the personality and nature and character of Christ? Folks, all of us are different. Some of us are lazy. Some of us are hot-tempered. Uh, some of us are the type that are so consumed with what's going on in our life, we can't hardly get outside of ourselves to consider what this book is even talking about in a practical way. And, uh, and we're absolutely without an excuse when it comes to how the Christian life is to be lived. We have to die to everything that we are, our way of thinking and our way of doing. And we have to receive in the place of it the way Christ thinks and what Christ would do and did do here in this world. The reason I read John 3.16, it's, it's so familiar, but it's a verse that's so familiar, a lot of times we don't even think about it. But you know, the key to the Christian life is love. For God so loved. I was thinking about that verse sometime past, a long time ago, really. And I was thinking about the importance of every word in the Bible. And one of the things that came to me was how important that little word so was. It doesn't say that God loved the world. It says that God so loved the world. What an emphasis that little tiny two-letter word brings to our mind and our hearts when we think about it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This gives us insight into the Father. The love of the Father and what Jesus Christ came into this world to do. It's so selfless. The Father was so selfless in what he allowed to happen. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
God does not want anybody to perish. Folks, we've got children. We've got acquaintances. We've got friends out here in the general public that we care so much about. We so much want them to be saved. I trust that's the case with all of us. That we're burdened about these things all the time. But you know what's needed in this world is people with that kind of passion and that kind of love. We need to so love people. So love our children. Not so love them in that we uh, try to make them happy by some uh, means that we think will make them happy. As a parent, you can't make your children happy. There's only one that can make them happy, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of parents try to buy their children happiness, or they try to agree with them. I've had families I've talked to over the years. I, I've had some who've enrolled their kids in the school here, and they would come here for a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden they start running into problems with their kids at home because the kids didn't want to come back to school anymore. I'll never forget, years ago, sitting down and talking with a parent uh, at the Golden Corral when it used to be on US-1 Highway. And uh, he had this conversation with me, and he said, uh, he said, Brother Dwight, he said, uh, I'm going to have to let my, my daughter drop out of school. And uh, I said, why? He said, I'm going to lose her if I don't let her drop out. She just doesn't like it down there. And I had to sit there and talk to that parent. I'll never forget it. And I told him this. I said, I hate to tell you this, but you've already lost her. You've already lost your daughter. And you can't give the child what they need your way. You have to take a stand over what's right, like the prodigal son's father did. And the son left home. But there came a point because the dad would not move in his conviction that the boy came to himself and said, I'm going to return to my father. The tragedy is, a lot of times, we lose our children by trying to go with them to the hog pen. You can't do that. You can't compromise the truth. And so the pattern is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't compromise. He tells us the truth. And the Apostle Paul didn't compromise. And in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16, he said, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The most loving thing that we can ever do with people is witness the truth from this book, the Word of God. And so the Apostle Paul said this about himself. He said, and again, my temptation which was in my flesh, he despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. As we get on into this message, I'm going to be talking about 
the false profession of genuine believers. We've heard messages on the false profession of faith where people say they're saved, but they're really not. They've never really gotten saved. But then there are those that are genuinely saved. But they're going about with their influence as a genuine believer with a false profession of the life that they supposedly have received in the place of the old man that they have died to. And they become a false profession of Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of examples of that in the Bible. You've got King David in the Old Testament. Uh, You've got Samson in the Old Testament. Uh, You've got uh, all kinds of people in the New Testament, like, for instance, the Apostle Peter. At the very critical moment when he should have been taking a stand for the identity of Christ, what did he do? He set forth a false profession of the life that God had given him because he was saved and denied even knowing him. Let me tell you something. When you lose your temper with another person, that's a false profession of faith. It's a false profession of faith. Jesus Christ never lost control. He never lost his temper. Never. Not one time. God is in complete and total control of his mind and his spirit, his life. And everything that he ever did was constructive. And in the backdrop of everything was love. Love. So it's very important to understand that. I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to think about some things that the Apostle Paul said. Excuse me. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 2. Let's look at um, let's look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. I want you to think about your testimony tonight as I think about what the Bible has to say and my shortcomings when it comes to living the standard of God's word in this pattern for Christian living. And Paul is talking about his attitude toward other people. We're seeing here a description of love. Practical love. Being gentle among people. Even as a nurse, nurse cherishes children a nurse who cherishes her children is a person who understands that the ones that she's dealing with 
do not know how to go out or to come in. And that's the way anybody is, regardless of their age, whether they're little tiny or whether they're big. If they do not know the Lord, they don't know how to go out or to come in. They don't know anything about life. They don't know how to make choices with a, an expected end. They make choices impulsively based on what they want, their will. And Paul was gentle toward people like that. Verse 8 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Is this the way we see other people? As dear unto us? Just what's needed in my life. Just what's needed in your life. This church is so amazing. We've been given so much. And we can lose so much if these principles of Christian living are not applied. It's very easy to have a critical spirit and to say things that hurt people. And sometimes people will begin to say things they ought not about other members in the church. And the word gets back to the one that is the target of those words. And it hurts. It hurts them. And it causes division. But it's a false profession of Christ. A false profession. The Bible makes it very clear when it comes to this false profession how dangerous it can be. Um, I want you to hold your finger right here at 1 Thessalonians and turn with me right quick to 1 John chapter 4. I want you to see how serious this is. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now what is said in that statement alone brings us to the threshold, what you might say, or the divide in the road between those that are genuinely saved and people who just think they are. And are really not, because they do not have the love of God as their life. Now listen to me carefully on this because it's dangerous to misunderstand these verses right here. It's dangerous. Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is essentially what Paul was talking about. Uh, when he talked about others that he ministered to, seeing Christ in him. Christ is invisible. No man has seen God at any time. But he is manifesting his life in you and me. And when people saw the Apostle Paul, they saw him as an angel of God. That's what he said. Even as Jesus Christ. Folks, that's serious. When we're sitting around with other people and talking about other people, Are people hearing Christ in us toward that person? You remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40? It's one of the most convicting verses in the Bible. Inasmuch as you do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it also unto me. Jesus Christ came into this world to die for the whole world. And we can't pick our favorites and say, well, you just don't know this person over here. But I know them. And I don't like them. And this is what I've detected about them. And I want to tell you about it. Folks, that's not the love of God. And people who live this way without thinking seriously about what the Bible says are people who do not get up in the morning and set their clock and study and meditate upon this book because if you do, you will begin to realize that you might have a false profession of faith altogether and not even be saved. When the disciples talked about the Lord coming back and asked him, in response to their question, the first thing that he said was, Take heed that no man deceives you. But you know what Jeremiah said? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Let me tell you who the most deceptive person might be in your life. is you. We can be so deceived about our own self and our own relationship with God in terms of how we view and treat other people. And this is what is so wonderful about the Bible. God loves us so much. He wrote it in a book, inspired it himself, and preserved it himself so that we could study it and apply it and use this pattern to examine ourselves with as to whether or not we actually even have the life of Christ. If a man has not the spirit of Christ, Paul wrote the Romans in chapter 8 and verse 9 and said he is none of his. Look it up yourself. 
Let's do. I think I'm right. Romans chapter 8. And verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Do we understand the magnitude of such a statement as that? Folks, the very way that we treat other people is a public testimony of our claim to have Christ's life as our life. Would Jesus Christ say those things that we sometimes say about other people? Probably not. I don't think so. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we need to move along. In verse 13, we read these words. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I would not be surprised if there's not people in this church that do not like me and probably do not are not very happy when they find out I speak because I'm pretty long in what I have to say, usually on a pretty regular basis. I know there are people that do not like it. I want you to give me a pattern out of the Bible that teaches us how long preaching should be. I don't think you can find it. This is the most watch-conscious, time-conscious society in the history of the world. The Lord Jesus said to the disciples in Gethsemane, could you not watch with me for one hour? You remember when the Apostle Paul was at different places and I can't remember the city right now, but I think it might have been Ephesus uh, where he was preaching. And he preached until 12 o'clock. And Eutychus got sleepy and fell out of the window and it killed him. And Paul raised him from the dead. I think it's implied that he did. That the man actually died. And the Bible says that Paul goes back up and there were many lights in the room, which is a picture of genuine believers who have received the light of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul preached until morning. There used to be revivals in this country in the early days when America became the greatest nation in the world. And those meetings would go sometimes for days. And the preachers would preach for a couple of hours, sometimes three hours. Sometimes they would have two or three meetings during the day. I know we're all busy and times change and this is the fastest paced 
society again in the history of the world. But you know something? We've begun to accept the traditions that have been passed down as being biblical because we've become accustomed to the tradition. I was talking to Pat here just the other day, and he was talking about a, a woman in the church he used to go to that would stand up at a certain time when the preacher got to whatever time it was, she thought he ought to quit, and she would stand up and she'd look at him and go, <laughs> and he would stop. Pat told me that the preacher would stop preaching right then. Well, uh, where did that come from? How would we do if Jesus Christ was here tonight teaching? How would we do if it was the Apostle Paul at Ephesus, if that's where it was, and I think it might have been, when he preached a whole, probably 12 hours? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. People that are genuinely saved ought to value the message of this book more than their necessary food. Should. We all should. We ought to be praying for the speakers. We ought to be praying for our pastor and uh, for Jim and Jed and whoever else ever speaks in this church. That God would speak to us from this book and I can tell you this, the Bereans were more noble than those from Thessalonica because they believed that this book is the final source for knowing the truth. And Paul taught what was in the book. And they would go home and study what's in the book. And you know what? They found out that what Paul was saying was right. I, I pray that we will do that with every speaker. If there's something ever said that we do not agree with, that we would go into the book and study it so that we can find the answer we're looking for. And then the Lord Jesus said, Ye shall be witnesses. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, He said, but ye shall, be, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. Witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? The Lord Jesus said that we are the light of the world. And the whole reason he has saved us is to serve him. Now, what does that mean? It means going out into the world with Christ as our life. And we don't mix it up the way we think and the way he thinks, the way we would handle things and the way he would handle things. You do not mix it up. That's double-mindedness. And James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is a person that doesn't really want to believe the doctrine of total depravity. 
A double-minded person that sits around and gossips toward other people wants to mix it up. Okay, God's got his view, I've got my view. And this is how I think about this person, and this is what I'm going to say about them. Because I think I'm right. Without separating yourself the way Eve did in the garden, I can be as wise as God. I can judge people. But you know what Paul said in the Romans chapter 1? Who art thou that judgest another? For wherein thou judgest another, thou doest the same things. Wouldn't it be therapeutic if we thought about that when we're sitting around tearing somebody apart, feeling good about ourselves because we're ministering a better understanding about the people that we're involved with roundabout life. Well, there's such a thing as destructive criticism. There's such a thing as constructive criticism. But the best criticism is face-to-face in love. Now, Paul said the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. Folks, we can't give people repentance. We can't change people. We don't have the power, the wisdom, the wherewithal to change anybody. The second most complex thing in the universe is a human being created in the image of God. And the free will is such a delicate thing. Only God can deal with it. And we have to be gentle with people to understand how easy it is to wound them. Things that come out of our mouth. I've often thought about it, you know. If a person pulled a trigger on a gun and blew a hole in somebody, and a few minutes later said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry I did that. It wouldn't change the hole It wouldn't change the bleeding and the pain. And you know something? In the future, you would look down and you would see a scar if you survived. (laughs) You'd see a scar and you would remember that person that pulled the trigger. Blew a hole in you. And it may be that you can forgive them And that's what we're supposed to do. Forgive them. But you know something? Everybody, even after they get saved, are daily dealing with an old nature. And one of the things that is very distinguishable from ourselves and God is God can and has the power to remember our sin no more. We don't have that power. And if you ever use your mouth to say something to somebody that hurts them and wounds them, they will remember it the rest of their life. And you can count on it. They sure will. 
and what you will have to do to patch up that wound and make them feel close to you and safe with you is incredible what it's going to take. It's going to take a lot, maybe more than we could ever do. It's better just to love people the way God loves people. But then there's a problem with human nature. We're so full of our own opinions and ways. It's very difficult for us to escape the old nature because the old man, the old nature that's in us, even though we die daily to it, tomorrow we get up and all of a sudden we find out, well, we thought he was dead. But we find out he isn't. And somebody says something, and because we're not people that walk in the Spirit and pray without ceasing, bam, just like that. What comes out of our mouth fires us up, and boy, look at what we've done. Isn't it the case that we've said it so often in the church? We're one thought away from disaster, one word. Away from disaster. One word, one thought. I'm telling you that the battlefield, the spiritual battlefield that we're dealing with here is that dangerous. It's that dangerous. And that's why the Lord taught us to pray without ceasing. To walk in the Spirit. What he was talking about was living his life because we're not able to do it apart from him. He said, without me, ye can do nothing. Certainly not capable of living the Christian life. You want a message on Christian living? You're getting it. This is a message on Christian living. Right out of the Bible. Now, let me tell you this. We're living in a world that is so messed up. And one of the things that you'll find is that people are lonely. Have you noticed that? People are lonely. You can have a lot of people gathered around you and still be alone. There are rock stars that have multitudes just flocking wanting to get to them. And you would think, well, they're not ever lonely. That's not true. That's not true. And did you know that everybody is dealing with issues in life that we don't know anything about? Did you know that people are hurting in ways that we have no, no idea how they're hurting? That's true. People live very private lives. They're dealing with things that they're, they don't really have a closeness with anybody that they would ever feel the freedom to even let them know what they're going through and how they actually feel about things. We need to understand that. Jesus Christ did. And when he came into this world, we can see his life manifest for the whole world to study because the Lord wants us to be this way 
In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, I want to read these words. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is in heaven is perfect. What he's talking about is the difference between being a Pharisee and being a genuine Christian that has the life of Christ. Let me tell you what we're like in our nature. And you can see it right here in this church a lot of times. People who absolutely refuse to get involved in the lives of the people in this church. To really know what they're going through. To get close enough to them that the spirit of Christ that is in them could actually minister to them. How many people are there that you feel like you could go and sit down with and talk to and pour out your heart and say, listen, I just feel like that I could come and talk to you because I've got these things going on and I, I don't know what to do. And I, I want to talk. Are you the kind of person that somebody would come up to and say that to? Jesus Christ was. He sure was. And that's the way we ought to be. If we spend our life with our friends and with our family and neglect the people that are around us that in our congregation to the point that we don't know that much about them at all, how can we really minister to them with that life of Christ that he has given us because he wants to? He sure does. And every single one of us. I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. I want to show you something. Very important passage. Matthew chapter 9. I love this passage. Because it, it gives us, again, insight into the life of Christ. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And notice what it says next. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I want you to think about the, the words here. How he goes into every city and village, all of them. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Do you think that he just walked through there and just, with his power, just healed them and walked on? I don't. I think it was very personal. 
And what the Lord is teaching us here is that through his eyes, he saw people that were hurting. There are people all around us that are hurting. In various and sundry ways, they're hurting. They're going through things that we, we don't know anything about. You know why? We're not close enough to them to even know. There are people in this church that you see, but do you know them? Do you know them? What do you have to do to get to know somebody? There are people in this church that are lonely. What are we supposed to do about it? What did Christ do about it? Well, I'll tell you one thing. He got involved. Because that's the life of Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. Failure to do these things. As Christ did these things. Is living a false profession of faith. Even as a genuine Christian. It is. And it's not right. And we can say, well, I don't have time to get involved with all these people. What is the Christian life about? It's not about ourselves and what's important to us the way we naturally think. It's about a world that's on its way to hell. And our children need to see these things in us. They need to see us loving people the way Christ loved people. The likelihood of them turning out that way is so much greater when the parent is setting forth that kind of testimony. The Christian life is not just about our family. Let me tell you something. There's only one family in the Bible that's eternal. And it's God's family. You got in the beginning the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the question is, where's the woman? I mean, if God the Father has a son, where was the wife? Well, you find it in Jeremiah chapter 3. It was Israel. And it would be through Israel that Jesus Christ would come. He would be born eventually from a Jewish woman named Mary. And this is the family of God, and Christ comes into the world to enlarge his family. He's wanting brothers and sisters like Christ to live with forever, that he promised to never leave nor forsake. That's what the Bible teaches. And I'm telling you, we can focus all of our attention on our natural family. As though that's what the Christian life is really all about. No, it is not. There are a lot of children in this world that are going to lose their soul forever. And they're not going to have family at all for all eternity. There's only one family, and that's the family of God. And he wants us to understand that. And that's what we're doing in this world. We're trying to teach people how to think. And the way we're supposed to think is the way God thinks. 
And he's desperately trying to save people because if they do not get saved, they can never be a part of his family. They can never really be the offspring that he wanted them to be. And we're all God's offspring. The way we treat other people is the way we treat God's family. Inasmuch as you do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it also unto me. Uh, let's, let's close, if you will, bear with me just a moment. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. This passage is so important, has been to me, a source of encouragement. The reason is because it's such a wonderful thing to go through a day and be happy. We see so many people that are not happy. And it's a tragedy (laughs) to live that way. And we don't have to live that way. We can be happy every day. Paul was. Jesus Christ was. Verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That means be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Because there's nothing you can do. Change the situation. But... Stop living for self and trust in the Lord always. Lean not upon your own understanding. Leave it to Him. He'll work it out. Let's go down to verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, I'll speed this up, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. I want you to draw a circle around two words. And they're both in verse 9. And the first one is the word learned. You need to draw a circle around it. And the second one you need to draw a circle around is do. You see... Living the Christian life is something that you have to learn because knowing how to do it is not in you. If you learn it, then the, the way to do it is outside yourself. Well, where outside yourself? Is this book. It's right here. Right here. This is how you learn. By studying the Word of God. And you have to learn it. 
Sometimes it takes quite a while for it to get processed in your mind so that it becomes the way you think. But folks, listen, it's not going to be the way you think if you do not meditate upon the Scriptures. Every day, meditate upon the Scriptures. He said... um, In verse 8, think on these things. Then he says, learned. We learn it by thinking about what God says. But it doesn't do a bit of good if you do not do it. You have to do it. So, I'm, I'm going to stop right here. I hope that something has been said that will help us. We've got it so good in this place. Sometime when you go home, pull out First Kings chapter 10. I wish I had time to go to it to show you. Had it the Queen of Sheba when she came to Solomon. And she saw the ascent of the people as they ascended up into the temple that Solomon had built. She noticed how happy they were. And that's the way we need to be in this church happy. Because of the message of this book. Happy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these things that you have given us in the scriptures so that we might know how to live this Christian life. Because apart from the pattern of scripture, we don't know. We don't have a clue. And it's a sad thing for us to be overwhelmed uh, by a self-centered life, double-mindedness, going through life, trying to mix it up somehow or other our view of things our attitude toward life and not have your attitude and help us to remember that we have the power every morning when we get up to make a decision concerning what kind of attitude we're going to have are we going to be negative are we going to be happy and if we get up day after day reminding ourselves how miserable we are and we do it long enough and often enough it'll become true and that's sad but if we meditate upon the scriptures and this counsel that you've given us we can be saved from that and I know that this is the design the design behind this form of inspiration and preservation because you want us as our father you want your children to be happy and we thank you for these things we make this prayer in jesus name amen